these are my friends Come along with me See how the story ends Welcome back to another episode of Shit Going On <laughs> <laughs> We're your hosts We're your hosts, the world <laughs> We got another great return guest back with us Joey, welcome back It's good to be back Thank you for having me Good to have you back. That's a nice good touch. To, good, good to have you back. Good to have you back. We got the right. We got it right for once. The little buttons. <laughs> I know where that button's at. That button don't move. The other ones. <laughs> they you guys like have a soundboard now. Themselves. Yeah, we got a soundboard. If we if actually, Dylan's got a soundboard that'll. Uh, Dylan, hit him with a little flavor. You got. You got Let some flavor. Yeah. Are you about to blow my mind? <sighs> blew oh, my mind. So I don't know if it's gonna blow yours, but it. it, it but I'm easy to please. I can mm. Change the soundboard here. Let's see if it's just on it. No, that's just the standard one. Oh, you have multiple over there. Yeah. So the soundboard has you can. There's different. Like you have your six or eight buttons here, right? Right. Well, there's different modes. You can switch to different modes of the sound. So you can be like mode one is all these sounds. Mode what? two is all of these sounds. Yeah. So oh, okay. Here we go. Um, this is, I don't know what this is. I want to remind everyone I got this from a pawn shop, and there was definitely a lot of things <laughs> uploaded from it before. It just starts. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Back with breaking news. Channel 5 Hippies. That's perfect. I think someone from a news station had this. All right, yeah, all right, totally all right. We, we, we get it. We get it. Oh, we get one it. One more. One more. I just want to... Pawn browsers. You know how it starts. You receive an Ooh. innocent-looking message. Oh. Oh. It's kind of provocative. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Turn that one. Maybe that was... Uh, maybe that one has seen a couple trips around the, Dude, the sun. Was that, you know what, uh, what was the show? What was the show? Where he would... Uh, Get sexual predators to come in? Maybe oh, with the Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen. Uh, How to catch a predator. Yes. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Dude, there was a, I saw a YouTube video that was like, how to catch a predator. Like, where are they now? And it's like, the prison. I, I don't need to watch that video. Yeah. It's like, they're, <laughs> we already know the answer to that. Their life's fucked. It had 8 million views. 8 million where people are they this now? video to find out. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? <laughs> It's not like HGTV Extreme Home Makeover or like Hit My Ride. Where like, are they now? Prison. <laughs> it's the shortest recap ever. Uh, He's living day by day. He doesn't eat three squares. He only eats two squares. <laughs> well, uh, hey, to give everyone a recap, if you didn't catch the last episode... Joey, you would be considered our outside inside expert on all things uh, financial and stoic astuteness, I would believe, because uh, you certainly bring a, a amount of groundedness to our conversations, but also insight, man. I, I love the the dynamic that you bring, and um, I think that's kind of setting the stage for what we want to get into today, as well as maybe some emotions. <laughs> Dylan, that was a cue for the ba ba Well, I'm not well versed in the soundboard, but thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, 
There it is. Oh, God. They're just scratching such a good itch. (laughs) I just want to press this one. Oh, I didn't like that one. Yeah, okay. Well, that's all right. Sorry, there's a door-to-door sales guy out there. Not interested. Uh, The joys of home ownership. (laughs) I actually got a recruitment text message a couple of hours ago, and I just saw the language, and I was like, uh, hey, is this... Is this vector marketing? Is this Cutco? And the lady was like, you know, whatever canned response back and was like, yeah, let me look up your stuff, see if I can get you an opening. I was like, yeah, that's that's not really necessary. I was um, you know, CSP and, and she just kept going. I was like, I, um, I'm in the Hall of Fame for that company. I, I, I really don't think I'm your ideal candidate. <laughs> my bad. My bad. I, can, I, I have all of your product already. So. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing you can sell me. And I can buy it at a discount. It don't go through you. <laughs> how many knife blocks? You know how many knife blocks I have? That was just like the sound clip. That was just the sound clip. Well, for everyone listening at home, um, today is one of those days where we're going to get deep. And I think you can appreciate deepness because that's what we want to bring to the table. Um Joey, what have uh, what have you been up to since the last time you were on the show? Like, give us kind of a quick lowdown on what's what since you were last on the show. Um, so this whole last year, I, I had just moved into my new apartment, and um, you gave me that advice of, oh man, soak it up because I had like the year to live by myself. Mm. And, uh, by June I'll be moved in with, uh, my girlfriend, Lindsay, who I love very much. Um, and yeah, so this year, um, yeah, I've really gotten comfortable with like living by myself and being by myself. And, uh, this has been, this is exactly what I needed, you know, cause I've always wanted that experience and I definitely think I've grown a ton from it and, uh, I've used that time wisely. So uh, I, Dylan's going to take the mic from me. Well, I'm curious, uh, and just so everyone knows, we uh, if you're not watching this, you can watch this on Spotify. If you're not enjoying all the feedback in your ears right now, just hear me out. Visually, it's extremely pleasing. If you can check out the background, we have a one-of-a-kind artwork, which we'll, we'll tell you a little bit about later on. Um, that is for sale. Starting bid is approximately $1,000, I believe. Uh, Joey, can you? I would only pay tree fifty, but that's just tree fifty. Okay, all right. Starting bids tree fifty. Hit us up at uh, professionalhippies at gmail dot com if you'd like to place place a bid there. Um, So, yeah, how has been the solitary confinement? You really soaking that in, or I wouldn't put it as confinement per Mm se, right? But um, you you did get yard time, right? You're allowed to go outdoors, or how's that work? Once a day. Okay. Yeah. About fifteen minutes. Oh. Hey, that's <laughs> 15 minutes more than most, you know? Um, so yeah, this last year, um, I've definitely like, I've definitely moved up in my career and, um, I've assumed, uh, a more leadership role, uh, within the jujitsu gym that I train at. Um, I'm helping run the morning classes and, um, and then when, when I'm at home, I've just been reading a ton and of course, like, playing a little bit of video games and enjoying myself a little bit, but really trying to use that time to 
grow as much as possible. Yeah. So what's the experience been like though, on a serious note, when you know, Hey, you're going to be moving in together with your partner and, um, you kind of have this time that you know, maybe this, this is kind of the experience of yourself for, was it the first time you live by yourself? Yeah, it is the first time. Um, it's kind of, well, I mean, it's bittersweet, right? Like, obviously I'm excited for the next chapter of my life. Um, but I remember you telling me, Dylan, like four or five years ago when we first started living together that, man, I, if you live by yourself, you'd probably really love it. And you were, you were absolutely right. And so I'm, I've tried to savor the time as much as I can. Um, but yeah, it's hard because, you know, on one hand, like I kind of want to, want to wrap it up and kind of get on with the rest of my life in that next chapter. But man, I'm really trying to savor that time too, because I'm in a good way, in a bad way, I'm not going to get it back. You know, like this is a time for me to be a couch potato and to, you know, walk around naked and, you know, play video games and, you know, be a man child mm. in the privacy of my own home with no one judging me. So yeah, just trying to soak it up as much as I could. Like you said, how, how old are you? Joey? 30. 30. Okay. Do you, do you guys feel like it's one of those, do you have reflective periods where I, I found this happening to me a lot, uh, at Okeechobee where I'm like looking back say like 10 years ago and remembering at that point in my life, I'm like, Oh God, I really need to soak in this period. Cause I'm never going to be this young again. And then life gets faster and faster and faster. And like every now and then you have those reflective periods where you remember, Oh fuck. Like I'm probably like the fastest I'm ever going to be right now. Like I recover the fastest ever, but it's still, it's like this awkward, like we're maturing period where we're like metamorphosing into the, the adult thing, but we're still pretty fucking young, but it, it feels old. You, you know what I'm trying to articulate here? It's like where you have those moments where you're like, I got to soak in this right now. No kid type. Dude, I go through with that regularly with jujitsu. So for people who don't know, I've been training jujitsu about eight years now. And man, I can see the change in my body with how it responds to my training now, dude, I used to be able to hit the mats like five, six days a week, weight train, literally when I was 22 years old, do whatever I want and have no consequences. But now it's like, I got to take a step back, train maybe two, three times max and really take it easy on the weights. You know, it's like, I see it reflected in my body all the time through my training. So yeah, I completely get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the thought of like kids coming on the horizon, like that's another thing that I think about frequently. It's like Dylan and I have talked about this extensively. Like, do we have one more year left? It's it's like that one year horizon where we're like, is this the year that we have left? So we keep kind of like pushing it out. We're like, all right, we can get away with, you know, being big man children for this year. Right. And then it's like, <laughs> I don't know if life forces your hand at some point or. As we're strung out at Okeechobee looking at each other, like, is this the year? <laughs> Can we not be like this again? <laughs> yeah. You kind of feel like you're on Mars watching the world burn a little bit with your buddies, you know, like, like the bachelor party, Rob Joey. It's like, you, I think bachelor parties are kind of, uh, the quintessential oasis in life where you like take a step back, you're having a bunch of bro fun and you're like, what's coming next kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it kind of feels like the world is in that in that moment right now. It, it feels like the between the economy and the job market and AI that like everything's in this figuring out period where everyone's like, okay, where are we going to go from here? Yeah, I, I felt like ever since February of 2020, the world is just never going to be the same. Like I, I've definitely felt that that pending not. I guess not doom per se, but just, I don't know. I, I definitely had a feeling that, you know, the world will never go back to the way it was, not not back in 2019. So for, for better or worse, um, and yeah, definitely the economy because, and and that really got accelerated with the Ukraine war. Like supply chains are never going to be the same again. Like for good or for worse, the era of globalization is coming to an end. And so you better be prepared for higher prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's kind of trippy to think about uh, what COVID ushered in. But I also distinctly remember when I was buying my house, which spurred Dylan to buy his house, that there was this, um, bad we, we got to get it now. Right. There, there was like, I, I, I don't know if I'd call it impending doom either, but it's like, the waves going up. So there's this apprehension of when the bottom's going to fall out. And now we're in this kind of bottom falling out period. We're like, when, when's it going to get better again? It, I guess that feeling just never fucking decides to take a break, right? It's either you're on the up and worried about the down coming or it's going down. And you're like worried when the up's going to come. So what I feel like almost what our parents felt like in 08 when everything collapsed. And then they're like, is this going to end? Ever and then they're like, oh yeah, this never ends. We had like one little blip of good, and then everything went right back to crap again. Yeah, I, I think um, to kind of speak to your training though, Joey. Like, I feel like um, all that all that stuff kind of comes out on the mat, right? Where you're like intentionally putting yourself in points of distress. Or like weight training is for me when I'm like, okay, like hey, I I really don't want to do this right now, but you're at that eighth rep and you got to get to ten. I feel like that's when I create certainty in myself that like, regardless of what's going on around me, that everything's going to be okay. But I have to like inflict this trauma on myself for my body, like my nervous system to get a release. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Growth through discomfort. I'm actually reading a great book right now um, called principles by Ray Dalio. Who's like one of the best investors of all time. He runs like a $150 billion hedge fund and he's, has a chapter right now about evolution and the lesson in it is that a lot of people get fooled by the immediate feedback to a certain choice. So if the immediate feedback is good, the second and third order effects are actually bad. So let's say if you want to be lazy, that feels good to just sit on the couch, but the second and third order effects of that is bad because you get fat and, and lazy as shit and you feel terrible or if you want to eat like a cupcake, it feels good immediately, but later on it's going to feel bad, right? So, yeah, going back to like training, like, yeah, dude, like, and I, I help run the 6 a.m. class. So, dude, I'm up at 5, 5.30 driving to class, teaching people, help helping run the class at like 6 o'clock and doing simulated murder with like other grown men it's at 6 in the morning. And it's like, man. Like, objectively, I don't want to be there, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good for me later on. 
it's always better for you later on. Yeah. I had one of those moments the other day where, uh, I was driving to the gym and the whole way I, I post about it on Instagram because the whole way I was like getting up. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to stretch and do the sauna. I got to the gym the whole time I'm warming up. I'm like, I'm not going to work out. I'm just going to, you know, do some stretching or whatever. The whole time I'm approaching the set, I'm like, all right, maybe I'll just do a set, see how it feels. And at a certain point through the uh, movement, it created a different emotion in my body. And I found myself at this point where I was like, I can keep going. I can finish this workout. And it was a spiritual fucking experience at the end when I was like, I can do this. And I got to the end, got in the car and just started fucking crying. Cause I was like, Jesus fucking Lord, like what is pent up in me? Because there was just demons all in my head saying, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You don't want to do this. Think about how good it'd feel to quit. And you push through all of that. And the whole time there was no motivation. I couldn't believe I did my best effort on like the squat, whatever, with no motivation. There was no feel good. I can conquer the world today. And I did my best. And so I'm curious, like, that's, that's just like weight training and stuff. When, when it comes to waking up at five in the morning, like how often are you, are you faced with, uh, with that? Like putting yourself in a leader, leadership position, I'm sure it helps because you have eyeballs on you, but how many days are you like stoked to be there? And how often are you like not feeling it? It depends entirely on if I'm excited to like work something into my game and I have, so I, I fell into the trap of treating it as just a workout. So like, Oh, I'm just going to show up, roll with some guys and get a good workout. But that's actually like the death of your progression. So really if you want to advance, you have to be always thinking about what else can I add to my game? What do I need to work on? And what am I going to work on in training? What am I going to focus on? That is, that's what's going to motivate you to keep coming back. So when, so I, I really turned a corner when um, I started helping run the class. I realized like, dude, I've been stagnant for like three fucking years. I haven't learned, I haven't added anything to my game and, when I realized that and I started studying on my own, like in my off time and, um, trying to, trying to just be excited about learning something new again, that's when overall I started becoming more excited about my training. So I would say to ultimately answer your question, um, I would say maybe two out of three times a week, I'm actually like genuinely excited to be there and maybe one of the days like i want to just get it in just to just to hit that number like my number each week is three like i need to hit, hit three a week and i can i can feel good about myself so maybe the first two times i'm amped up ready to go and then maybe the, the last one is feels more like a chore mm. i remember when you had that feeling it was after you got purple belt and you like i remember that was a big achievement and then you were like i'm gonna take a break for a little while you're like, I'm going to focus on some other things. And you like made this accomplishment, which is huge in jujitsu. But you're like, hey, I got this. I've been working on this for so long. I'm going to focus on maybe some other things. You focused on guitar for mm -hmm. pretty strong after that. And then I saw you like start going back, but you weren't talking about jujitsu as much. Yeah. And then now I've been seeing you like starting to read books and get back into it. 
It's kind of interesting that I heard this for a quote from somebody that Adam Sandler had told him. He said, uh, you know, I have achieved all these things and I can provide these things for my family. Sometimes it's nice to take a break and like relax and embrace what you've achieved. But if you stay there too long, you won't be able to continue doing that in the future and having those moments going forward. So it's always nice to do that. But then you're doing it now. You realize like, oh, I've stayed here in that little comfort zone a little too long. I'm not doing what I was projecting to do anyways before. Time to get back into it. But I watch you move your attention around to yeah. things when you do that. Yeah, I think I think at that time uh, I wasn't focused enough on my career. So that was a big thing. So I needed a f- – that was, that was when I transitioned to – Honeywell. That was that, that huge transition. Um, so I'm, I think, yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I shifted my focus away from my hobbies and I wanted to learn, I wanted to advance in my career. And I also, that was also the time when like COVID started hitting. So I was forced to take a break anyways, but uh, I told the story on the last podcast of like how COVID hit and I was broke and like, I had like, maxed out credit cards and, you know, made broke every financial law ever. And that's when I dove headfirst into like the financial world. And I realized like, Oh, this is another skill that I can hone. This is another area that I can develop for myself. Like this is something that I could bring to the table for a relationship that I'm going to have in the future. That This is going to actually have a real tangible benefit. Like, yeah, like the, the career obviously is a tangible benefit, like being able to defend yourself, that's a tangible benefit, but being learned, knowing what to do with money, that is absolutely a huge tangible benefit. And so to come full circle, yeah, I, f- I shifted my focus away from jujitsu because I maybe internally, I just felt like I was severely lacking in this area and I, I needed to develop it. Mm. Yeah, money's a big one, but I like the way you put that. It's just uh, a set of skills, and it, it's ironic that like we have kind of these like core skills that if we develop as humans, we can be very proficient in life. But if that's not supported by other interests or skills, like something I think about all the time is, and uh, Abby and I were talking about this recently. Like I haven't I haven't DJed in a while, and I love that, you know, um, or getting really good at ultimate frisbee. That's another thing. That's a, that's just a those are random skills, but it kind of feeds a part of you yep. that if that's not if that's not going on, I don't have a fucking iota of interest in looking at my monthly balance statements or or working out or the other stuff that it's like, hey, that 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 drives everything. That drives the career interest, but it can get kind of stale if you're just like that's one of the things that irks me about like self-help gurus and stuff is they're always just kind of talk about the meat skills, which are really important. But some of the biggest breakthroughs in my life, like where I take experiences like quantum leaps is where I, I do take a step back and just focus on something that's chicken noodle soup for the soul kind of where you're like, okay, I, I need to just dive into a skill that, you know, could be going on a hike, learn how to be a proficient camper right? That, that doesn't benefit your day-to-day life at all, but you learn a lot of lessons from putting one foot in front of the other again and again and again and going further than you, you might feel like going that day, right? I think that's something that 
Joe Rogan was preaching on his podcast years ago is like, you want to, if you want to live a happy life, you need to fill your life with shit that interests you and makes you happy. And it's pretty, it's really as simple as that. Like everything that I spend my time on, you know, obviously outside of work, like jujitsu, guitar, reading, listening to finance, studying, that kind of stuff. Like it all feeds into each other and they all enhance my life because I enjoy all of them. So I'm absolutely going to fill the majority of my time with all that shit because I love all of it. It's just purely logical. You know? It's always the person, too, when you go into work and people are like, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I just sat around. Yeah. They not really do too much. But the guy, person that's like, man, I went camping this weekend or I went swimming or we did Frisbee golf. It was a great weekend. They came in. They, you, those are usually the ones coming in energized, charged, mm-hmm. ready to make some money. And it's not like society doesn't uh, kind of push certain things. Like alcohol is a big one. I noticed when my alcohol, like routine alcohol consumption went down, that there there was a sense of boredom initially where I'm like, what do I do with my time? But other things opened up on the other side of that. And um, a hard segue, but I am genuinely curious. Like you mentioned, accepting a, a bigger leadership role at work and stuff like that. So when it comes to like your day in day out, like what you're doing now, is that what you saw yourself wanting to do? Or did you kind of work backwards as in finding meaning in what you're doing? Right? Like, did you seek out that position? You're like, Hey, this is like my dream job. This is what I want. Or did you find yourself kind of in a place where steps were unfolding in front of you and you found a way to make more meaning out of it? Well, ever since well, in college, um, I always had this vision of myself that I want to be an engineer working in the aerospace industry. Uh, and that goes all the way back to when I was a kid watching um, like Bob Lazar documentaries about like Area 51 and stuff. Like, oh, I want to I want to work on like government stuff and like high tech programs and stuff. So I always had that vision for myself. Like I want to be an engineer in the aerospace industry and I'm not going to settle for less. And when I came out of college, I got a job in the aerospace industry and I put a few years in and then I networked my way into Honeywell, which is a head and shoulders company um, in the aerospace industry. And I, I mean, for my particular role, um, I never envisioned myself of being like a production engineer. That's, that's my title. Um, I was actually really nervous about accepting this role because I didn't know if it was going to work out. I didn't know if I was going to be any good at it. Um, from everything that I'd heard from, you know, my past coworkers, like, yeah, production engineering, that's, that's a hard role. You're going to be on your feet a lot. You're going to be out on the production floor, like putting your hands on product and it's super social. And I'm very intro. Well, I guess I used to be very introverted, but this job really brought me, um, out of my comfort zone. And so now I'm much more comfortable being social, but so no, I mean, yes, in the sense of the 30,000 foot view of, yeah, I want to work in aerospace hundred percent check that off. But as far as in particular being a production engineer, no, absolutely not. I was slightly terrified of taking the role. Um, but it, it worked out for the better and fast forward a few years. Um, a senior role opened up and it was, 
I didn't realize it at first, but I was talking to one of my coworkers who, who is a senior role in, on the team. And he's like, dude, you've been wanting a promotion. You know, you've been wanting a big raise. There's your chance. Like this is, this is a layup for you. Like you're the only person that has the experience. You're the only person who can literally step in and take this role and just hit the ground running and it'll be great. And I was like, damn, yeah, you're right. But at the time, um, I was a level one engineer because we can, we don't have to get into the whole story now, but I was actually laid off during COVID and they brought me back, but they had to kind of create a role for me. So I, on paper, I took a demotion to just stay at the company. I didn't take a pay cut or anything, but I took that to stay there. And so I put about a year in and then this opportunity opened up, but it was a level three. So a level three is that's, that's considered senior. And so on paper, it's a huge jump. And, you know, as far as like emotionally and, and as far as being seen as a leader, yeah, it was a, it was a a huge jump and I was definitely nervous. Um, but I went for it and I got it. And so, yeah, the last, it's been about a year and a half. Um, it's taken a while, but I've really kind of grown into it and I'm used, I'm more used to being someone that people look to and for them to, for me to guide them. And, you know, going back to our original podcast, um, I was reading Marcus Aurelius a lot and Stoicism, and a great part of that book was about leadership. And Marcus Aurelius, uh, he was groomed to be uh, the emperor of Rome, but he was just like a random kid. He was a random kid picked off the streets um, and was groomed to be the emperor, but he he never wanted to be. Like he didn't want the power, but leadership tends to flow to people who don't originally seek it. And so I'm absolutely not a person who seeks it for the, for the sake of it. But I feel like it's just kind of naturally coming to me anyways. Like, and just going back to jujitsu, like we started this 6am class. I just thought, Oh, you know, I, it's going to be great for my schedule. Perfect. But I took a look around, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm one of the only purple belts in this class. Like, I'm actually an upper belt in this class. And, you know, slowly but surely, you know, I started helping teach and helping uh, coach all the other guys. And, again, you know, I, I didn't seek it, but it just came to me. Yeah. Dylan, you kind of found yourself in a similar position, right, where it's just that staying power and – I mean, we've had conversations around that where you're like, I just looked up and saw the lot of my department and kind of left and maybe managers came in above you, but you're like, dude, you're just kind of passing through. That's kind of what happened to me. Like I never was trying to do anything at work to to move up. I mean, I, I I did reference, they would ask like, would you ever want to be in leadership? I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'd I'd take it. I'm not going to say no, it's a good promotion, but, um, after a while, I just put my head down and just focus what I need to do. And you see so many people come and go, of course, in sales, especially like big corporations, people coming and going. And, you know, <clears throat> four or five years goes by, all of a sudden, I'm one of the top people, top dogs in the company in my region. And then the also as well, too, as well, having to 
I've created a whole product line basically in the sales process for a whole division no one was really looking at. You come up to the end, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> Didn't even realize you've been doing this. You just put your head down making it happen. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of sometimes I feel, feel like, too, it wasn't – it was just part of the job to do it, of course. And it just came naturally to work, you know. Like I'm not – it's not like it's not – it's not like it's super fun. It's not like it's not fun. It's just like, hey, this is helping fund everything else I want to do. So let's stay on top of this and keep moving up in the career. It's also like really gratifying when you have those first couple of moments where someone expresses like, thank you for your help. Mm-hmm. And you realize like, oh shit, I, I genuinely helped this person. And maybe you, you weren't like being a try hard. You weren't seeking to just like unsolicit your advice everywhere. And a couple people approaching are like, Hey, that thing you told me to do, I did it and it worked. Like that's a really cool feeling. Dude, yeah. So there's there was a guy on our team. Um, his name is Jose, and uh, you know he he uh, he was brought in under contract, um, but everyone loved him. He was a great guy, and like I really took him under my wing. And everything that I had learned about like career navigation and office politics and stuff, I like downloaded to this guy. And so when it, an opportunity came up for him, like a big promotion and you know, a way for him to get like an actual job with Honeywell. And I helped guide him through it and man, watching him like land that role and now working like he unfortunately had to leave our group. So it's bittersweet, but seeing that I was able to help kind of like guide him and like hone him and help him achieve that next level. Like that was extremely satisfying to me. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the weird things about leadership too, is that like, um, you can also get attached to people. Like I found that pretty frequently in Cutco because I started so young that once I was about five or six years in, I mean, that company has like a 99 point something percent turnover within like a year or two. So, um, once I'm five years in, I'm looking up and I'm like, Oh wow. I really only know, like I'd be in a room of 80 people. I'm like, I really only know like six to 10 people here. That's what so. where I'm at too. That's kind of what happened to me. So many people came, especially COVID. Every, a lot of people left and went to different companies and you're like, man, so a lot, we, a lot of us still talk about how fun that sales floor was before COVID. Like we were all having a blast. Everything was working out great. And then all of a sudden everyone goes to home. It's a whole new world, of course. But yeah, it was just like, you have that yes. work memory. Yes. <laughs> Ignore that. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Oh my god! Oh, that painting, that painting, man. She won't go down without a fight. Um, all right, so the bid will drop to two fifty um, on that one. We will reframe it for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that kind of goes back to the nostalgia of what I was speaking to earlier. Is like, it, it's so. Um, difficult sometimes to realize like you're in the golden years right now. And, um, I I struggle a little bit with the Hermosi frame of the only way the work's going to get done is by doing the work first, right? Like he puts out a lot of videos. Uh, Joey, I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Hermosi or not, but, um, he started a big, big brand called Gym Launch, $100 million offer. So he's kind of big in uh, the marketing scene right now. 
And one of the things he speaks to is just like, hey, what's my morning routine, millionaire morning routine kind of thing? He's like, I just get up and have some coffee and I work versus you have all the other people that are kind of approaching it from, well, first I I get up and then I'll do my uh, meditation and then I'll read my affirmations and then I'll go work out and then I'll do some red light therapy and then I'll hit the sauna and then I'll do my to-do list and then um, write some gratitude and then journal and then get my work. And so I'm like between these two places where I find that having something that serves me is meditation. And if I don't do it first thing that it probably isn't going to get done. But I also find that the more things I do before the work, the more the work doesn't get done. It's like this constant stretch and pull of, and it's all just, Hey, find what works for you. Right. But, um, that is something I've had consistent trouble with is finding like a solid morning routine that primes me for the day in the, in the right way. Why is that so hard? Just find a solid morning routine. You always hear, listen to people too, like especially the, the ones that do the, the speakers are like, I found this morning routine. It works great. And this is what I do. But every one of those people could go home and it doesn't work for them most of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, you, there's so many trials and errors that you have to do. I feel like it's it's so hard to get through those to figure out what works. You know, I could if someone was like, go out there and mow the lawn, you don't know how to mow the lawn, you could probably figure it out pretty quickly, you know, mower, engine, mow lawn. But for whatever reason, when it's a personal issue, so many trial and errors that you have to go through that you just sort of like, fuck it, I'm gonna eat a bagel and sit on this couch and start work. <laughs> yeah, I mean like when we clarify our problems, like I think a lot of it comes to clarity. So like if you have clarity in your work day. You're like, hey, I know what has to get done. Then it simplifies that like mental anguish in the morning where you're like, hey, I'm just on ramping to the day. But something I'm finding right now is a lot like speaking to the creating the certainty myself. I'm having to define a sales process with the firm I'm a part of and doing a lot of throwing shit at a wall to see what will stick. So it's like the day is very dynamic. So I don't have a lot of certainty in the pillars of like, when you're part of a bigger organization, you're like, I, I stay in my lane. I take care of my focus and the, the whole cog will turn as a result of that versus like right now I'm like kind of the whole fucking cog. <laughs> so I'm like, how do I get the certainty that I'm after? And the, the one thing is for sure working out. Like if I knock out the workout in the morning, do something hard, then the rest of the day seems to go easy. Um, but it is interesting. It, it's like a skill that it's like a knife. You have to sharpen every fucking day every day do y'all journal at all i do do? i've been journaling that's been like a key part of uh my living by myself the second i started living by myself i picked up journaling and i haven't hit it every day some days i'm undisciplined and i don't write in my journal but most days i do and i think it's a really powerful form of meditation and it's really uh it's really helped kind of enhance my year living by myself. I think, I think I've learned a lot about myself and my relationships, um, by just being able to download it onto a piece of paper. You know, there, I've surprised myself many times. Like, I didn't realize I felt all those things and it's, uh, helped me become a little more objective about my own thoughts. So I've been getting, because of journaling, I've been getting better at catching myself. Like you ever notice sometimes 
you'll start having like these fake conversations or fake arguments, these, these fictional arguments that they're never going to happen. Like some, maybe someone at work like pissed you off a little bit. And then you like envision this argument that you have with this person. And, but, mm-hmm. and I'm getting better at like catching myself like, Hey, that's never going to happen. That conversation's never going to take place. You were just happy five seconds ago. Let's go back to that. And so I think that's one big tangible benefit that journaling has uh, given me. Is I've been getting better and more efficient at catching myself when I start slipping. Like, hey, let's let's go back to the, the peaceful part. Like, why why are you? You have no reason to be angry right now. You have this conversation, this argument that you're creating. It's never going to happen. So just drop it. Do you do more of like a stream of consciousness, like a free flow style? Do you do yeah. like a dear diary style? Do you ask yourself questions? What's that journaling look like? It's, it's freestyle. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, it's more of like a review of my day. Hmm. That's more of like what kind of, and now the painting's worth a hundred. Painting's gone. Painting's gone. It is a beautiful painting, though. It had a good run. It had a good, like, 40-minute run. Hey, I mean, that's solid. Solid 40 minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's way longer than I thought that thing would last. Oh, yeah, you know, for just slapping her up there. It works good. And correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. Is that that's a masterpiece you co-created? We did. Yeah, having a great, had a, a great uh, Saturday one day. A spiritual journey. A spiritual journey, and... Uh, Took it out back, the painting out back, and tried to paint what was running through our minds. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Intriguing stuff. Yeah. Painting is another one of those skills. That's something that um, I've had a lot of interest from childhood. And I think that's why it comes out um, on those spiritual journey days so much is just because it's like connecting with like the kid in me. Yeah. And there's no judgment. Like I find myself like oftentimes when I want to paint or draw, I'm like, that's shit. That's not, that's not what I wanted versus other times when I'm in a more of a free flow kind of state, there's no judgment. I'm just super stoked about whatever I'm creating in the moment. And it just kind of comes right out. Like when you have no expectation. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's something I, yeah. You know, that's something I think I've been learning through my guitar. Um, when I started playing guitar, it was like super like, like rigorous, like learning all these exercises, learning all these scales. And it was very systematic and an engineer like, and in this past year, yep. Just like that. And in the past year, I've dedicated this whole year to trying to get stronger creatively. So I will pick a key like B Dorian or like E Lydian or something like that, or, or just a major, like a major. And I'll just pick up my guitar and I'll just play in that key for like an hour while I'm watching TV and try and like find new little melodies or things that interest me and try to like connect them together. And so, yeah, try when, and I have a much deeper, well, I have a different sense of enjoyment now to my guitar. Like when I was practicing like super rigorous like that, like that, that has its own satisfaction, but I think it's a much deeper satisfaction for me now that I can just pick it up and I can play something that sounds nice to hear for the people that I care about. Mm. You know, I, I, 
enjoy more being able to please them instead of just being able to play with like incrementally better technique. Like that, that doesn't really have that much meaning for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember he would be, when we were living together, he might be having a bad day or maybe we were having a spiritual journey or something and just something throwing things off. And I'd be like, Hey man, weren't you working on something the other day? Cause you hear him practicing all the yeah. time. You're like, can you, can you play that? Can you try that out? And you'd see him. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then you pick it up and start rifting. You're like, that's fucking sick, dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, thanks. And you just see the mood start kicking back up. But but I knew that he also enjoyed playing for people to not only show like what he learned, but like he also knew other people enjoyed the sound of a guitar. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed being able to provide that. So it was always like an instant dopamine boom. It's your medicine, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a kind of a way of giving back to the world. Yeah, we just need him up there with like Rush or something now, you know. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the the introvert is screaming in me right now. Being being on a stage, giving getting everyone's attention. Absolutely not. This is the most I'll do. We saw uh, we were at Okeechobee and there's an artist called Sullivan King. So he does like dubstep, screamo, riffs guitar really well on the stage, like everything. And at the end of the show just came out and smashed his guitar in front of everyone <laughs> just to close out his show. Nice. And I was like, wow, that's pretty sick. Like, I hope you got five more back there. <laughs> I love watching, especially artists. Um, I, I mean, Sullivan King's a great example of someone's made it to the pinnacle, right? He has this massive team behind him that you don't really see that are moving all the parts, you know, making sure he gets where he's supposed to be, putting on the great show, stuff like that. I love seeing the pinnacle, but I also kind of love seeing that like B category of artist where they're making enough to have a good living, to provide for themselves, to do their art. And something I've been personally coming to grips with lately is like, I used to want to take over the world. Like I used to want to be a, you know, multi, multi millionaire. And, And those aspirations are still there, but something that's coming alive for me lately is, um, deep community and finding something that makes my heart feel alive and something that I've just noticed through reflection practice and meditation journaling is, um, kind of getting brainwashed by Instagram or TikTok and social media that like you have to be at the fucking top or it doesn't matter. Whereas like, it's deeply satisfying to just find a role that you are giving back to others that like you're finding your medicine, your contribution to the world and being able to fuck off, do whatever you want, when you want with who you want. And I literally had that reflection watching Sullivan King. He just looks like he's having so much fun. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not up there like fucked up. You can tell he's totally sober. He's crushing it. And it's just like, man, that's kind of like. That's the dream in a nutshell, right? Like you're just showing up to work and like you're making people stoked and happy. And I, th- I think that's just like, yeah, that's what I want for my life. Yeah. I think that's like the root of all, why I've invested so much time into learning about like finances and, and investing and stuff is yeah. Like I definitely like would love to be a multimillionaire for sure. Um, and have all those resources, but it's the freedom and the liberty that it br- it brings you, right? It, it's 
not having to go to work. It's just choosing to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, having that freedom is ultimately like what I'm seeking. Yeah. And that's the free, like Dylan and I were talking about this. Like if I can make two, 300 grand a year doing what I want, I'm good. Like it, it's the freedom I want, not the money. Yeah. The money is like, and that's just kind of the drilling down the seven layers of why it, it comes down to freedom. I think that's what, like on some level what we all want, but it, I've also experienced in the last couple of months of just like I had a runway and I've used the runway and when you're not doing anything, it's also in, incredibly like trapping, you know, if you're not like contributing back to the world, if you're not doing something with your time that feels like it's greater than yourself, it's kind of dull. Have you ever met one of those people at a job, just like a regular job? Maybe you worked with them coming up where they probably, they, you didn't know they had a lot of money, but you just really could tell they, they were good at their job, but they just didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of people like that where they had kids and a wife, so they couldn't do all the traveling and stuff, but they are like so many properties and they have such, so much income coming in that they just did this job to get out of the house for the day. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, I'm just here because I, I use this money for beer money. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Quick story. So, um, 2020, right? Lockdown, right? The vaccines are coming out. One of my coworkers that, who I really look up to, he's an absolute genius. He, he bought a ton of Moderna stock, like super, super low. And asshole. He, no, I'm well, just kidding. I'm jealous. He, <laughs> That's envy. I mean, but he, he sold it at the top and he walked into work that one day and he goes, I just paid off my entire mortgage <laughs> off a single trade. And just watching, like, the smile he had on his face of that deep, deep peace. Like, he owns his home now. And he did all that in one trade. It's like, that's that's the shit that sticks with me. Like, he has freedom. That's Dude, freedom. Bitcoin right now, boys. Looks like oh, it's making a, a rally. It's because the Fed's pumping that liquidity, baby. They basically erased all that QT they did the last three months, which... For people who don't know, quantitative tightening is basically them reducing their balance sheet. So the Fed is a bank, assets and liabilities. So when they lent, so when they buy treasuries from the United States Treasury, um, they're creating money by loaning that to the government through buying those treasuries. And so when they're rolling those treasuries off and reducing their balance sheet, that's kind of constricting the economy or the, the total amount of money circulating in the supply. But ever since we've had these bank failures the last few weeks, they opened up uh, – they call it a discount window. But now banks can just like run to them and dump all their toxic treasuries and they can get that cash value back. And so they've (laughs) – they re-increased their balance sheet by taking all those bad treasuries that were hurting all the regional banks and stuff. So – that's that's the lesson to be learned is that Bitcoin is the number one indicator for global liquidity. So if the Bitcoin's gonna run first, like if you noticed Bitcoin ran up to like twenty one, twenty two, twenty five before SPY or Nasdaq ripped up, like just watch Bitcoin and that will tell you the direction that the market's headed. Yeah, I'm tempted. I would tell it's one of those things like you don't know where the bottom's at, but like I'm for sure kind of a sheep of the masses right now where I'm like, okay, it's back up to 27. And I'm like, now I feel for whatever reason, more comfortable 
putting more money back into it. Um, I mean, I've always felt really good about it. Like I have a pretty significant stake in crypto, but um, when you see it rallying back like that, it's like I wanted kind of the proof of concept, like, okay, if the world's melting, let's see what happens with crypto. And it's kind of a confidence indicator that like, okay, now this is money is moving in and out of this store of value with the market, right? Like it's integrated itself into the global whole and portfolio. So um, that was kind of an interesting thing to see that like people have a fair amount of confidence in it. Yeah. And I, I think maybe this is a big call, but I think we bottomed in October. Like I think the bottom's in, man. I, I think, yeah, maybe we'll have some rough patches going forward, but I would have no, I, if, if we have dips, I would aggressively, this is not financial advice. Um, I would aggressively buy it. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's up from here, man. Seriously. I hope so. I, one of the things I wrote down that I wanted to bring up on the pod was, uh, are you on TikTok, Joey? Do you follow TikTok at all? Okay. Um, have you heard about representative Jeff Jackson at all? Yeah. A congressman, congressman yeah. from Northeast, I believe. Um, he is posting all this stuff on TikTok in layman's terms, like what's going on. So when the bank run started a couple weeks ago, they had an emergency hearing at like 11 o'clock at night. And when he got off of that, he posted a TikTok at like two in the morning. And he's like, hey, just so you know, um, here's what's going on with the banks. It's two in the morning where I'm at. And I just want to keep you guys informed. And the way he speaks about politics and um, just like what's going on, it's super refreshing like he's with the times he's like speaking to the people he's not like shading the information any kind of which way he's like here's my perspective on what's going down and it's like bite size you know it's two minutes and it's, so you're getting like a little bit like that podcast form where he's not being interrupted it's not like clickbaity kind of stuff where you know it's on television they're looking for eight second bites he's able to like inform the public and I'm, I'm curious if more politicians because we're gonna as we're aging we're gonna see you know a new demographic entering into politics where it's good they're gonna be speaking more to kind of like our level instead of the the generations that are kind of two three steps ahead of us so to speak and so i was just curious if you've heard about him but when it came to those bank runs like i heard a lot of stuff but when i actually heard from him i was like oh fuck here's a politician that's actually like not bullshitting the public on what's going down. He's like, yeah, this is a fucking scary situation. And it, it, he's like, it's not anymore. Here's why we did what we did. So he's like, keep your fucking money where it's at. Cause if you don't, we are fucked. So <laughs> we're all confident until you're not confident. <laughs> so I just thought it was cool. You know, I just want to kind of bring that in. I think if more politicians could kind of act in that way. Um, and Dylan, did we talk about the, the Kramer thing? Did I tell you about that? No. The Kramer index. Have you heard about that, Joey? Oh my God. Yeah. It's an ETF that's tracking him. Yeah. There's a short, there's a long and a short one. Yeah. I've kind of heard about that. I talk about it cause I, I've looked into it a little bit, but it was it's a, bad. so if, if you use Twitter, you'll see a lot of people, they invert Kramer. So if he tweets something, they'll, 
they'll say like, oh, this stock's done, sell it. You know, it's a, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke, but it's kind of scary how opposite his calls have been. Like, just the other day, he tweeted like, oh, First Republic, great bank. And the next day, they are down like 80% because, again, there was a bank run on First Republic. First Republic. And that's happened. It's happened a lot. I mean, I love Kramer, but God damn, it's happened so many times over the I love last him as a personality, five, but yeah. this dude went and dissected his picks. And I think it was over two, maybe three years. Don't quote me on that. Um, but we could cite the video in the show notes if I can find it. Um, over the historical inverting of his calls, mm-hmm. if you would have invested, it was like a 600% return. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty... <laughs> I was it's thinking crazy. about that with him. Do you think it's because he's 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 thinking like an older guy? He's not thinking like maybe like an aggressive. It feels like his show should be like more of an aggressive style investor, and he's trying to think like that, but he's thinking of it from his mindset. It's also time frame. Like if you look if you look at his picks, maybe from a longer time frame, they'll do better. But I think short to medium mm-hmm. time frame he's been more wrong than he's been right. And I'm a fan of Kramer, but it's absolutely true. I mean, the guy, he's not where he's at. Like that was something I learned. He's not just a TV personality. Like he was a hedge fund manager. Oh yeah, dude. He was, yeah, I read his book. Um, I've read two of his books. Uh, he started trading in like the sixties at like golden Sachs, And yeah, he ran his own hedge fund from like 95 all the way through the dot com burst. And then and then started a radio show and then got on CNBC. So, dude, the guy's been around since like the '60s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he he knows, man. He's been through everything. But yeah, <laughs> I definitely feel like if you, he, I, I started listening to him, and there are stocks I am still holding from him that have done well. I mean, Nvidia is a good one. Oh, like, God. He, like it's been fluctuating like crazy, but I think it's going to be good after a while. But He's always like buy, sell, buy, sell, and he'll sell to say to sell a stock. He just said six months ago to buy, and he's being so aggressive on his info. You well, can't. He also has to put out content. Yeah, you that's know, it's like part. yeah, you he know. has to always have a strong opinion. He always has to have a strong opinion. He always has to be making picks. So it's like, you know, he's. I at love the... the CEOs he gets on though. Like you don't really get that access. The type of people he gets to come on sometimes. You don't really get to hear from them. And the quality of conversations they're having. Like, uh, there was a guy from BlackRock that went on, uh, I think it was CNBC. I listened to that one. Yeah, that was fucking hilarious when the reporter is trying to pick him apart. And he, like, just seems like, well, actually, I had a feeling you'd say some dumbass shit like that. So I brought this folder. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see that clip? He just pulls out and he's like, here's a report on why you're fucking stupid. Um, Here's another one on why your mother's a, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I remember watching that was so funny, like picking him apart. He went on Kramer too. And I remember his high level of like, ex- cause Kramer was like, explain this. It was one of the few times Kramer actually shut up during it. <laughs> and he, cause he realized someone was way smarter than he was on. And the man, the the way, how in depth he went on just the market itself on not only real estate, but the stock market was just over everybody's head. It was such a, like most CEOs, they know how to like run the business, right? They don't really understand the product itself. Sometimes they know how to management. This guy knew everything about the business. It was so cool to listen to. Yeah, I love um, seeing some of the guys that 
I was trying to think of his name. Um, I think he might be a part of JP Morgan. Um, it's definitely not the president, but, um, whatever he runs, he runs a big fund and hearing the conversations these guys have, like it was like a panel discussion I was watching and the, the caption was like, here's why this dude's a shark. And you hear him talk about these companies and he made it sound so simple, but it's also like Elon talking about, you know, aeronautical engineering. You're just like, this is not, <laughs> this is not <laughs> simple. Yeah, it's like, you know, like when Elon was talking also about Tesla and like the design when it went from the Roadster to the Model S and he brought in like an expert um, in like car design and, and Elon was speaking to how much he revered this guy and his expertise. He was like, yeah, even did it better than I could, which is saying something. I'm like, you just hear the way these people interface with the world and you understand like, okay, I, I could do, I could take as much Adderall as I want. I, like, I'll never achieve that level of intelligence or ability to retain information. They, they just interface with reality in a completely different plane. That's mastery. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what that is. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's one of those trippy things. When, when those guys are, they're making snap decisions and they're looking at like a couple of numbers, but like the feel, right? It's like they're at the casino, but the, the house doesn't have an edge. And that's something that people don't understand about Elon Musk is that he's actually in all of the design meetings. Like he's actually helping des design the product and make design decisions for all of his companies. Like he understands the engineering just as well as his, some of his best engineers. Mm -hmm. But also back to lifestyle. Like, you know, that's one of those things people look at the money and they're like, Oh my God, I wish I had all this money. Like I don't, know that I do. I don't know that I would ever want to be responsible for markets moving based on my opinions. Yeah. I just feel like that kind of money would be a burden. You know, right. I would feel indebted. Like I would want to give most of it back. You know what I mean? Like what's, what's, our, what's your number? Like if you, I mean, we all want to be millionaires, but like, what's your number? Like what's a number that you could just like tap out to and be comfortable? Uh, probably 10 million. That's so funny. Out ten million, ten fifteen million is what popped That's up for I'd me. Be at, yeah, be like good. I know how. I know how to deal with this amount of money to make it last mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. Be good with this. That's about where I'd be at. Well, if I could turn on a fountain and know that I had a hundred thousand coming in every year after taxes, that like, too. You know, yeah. like that's that's coming in regardless, adjusted for inflation. I don't pay the person that's managing the thing all, after all the bullshit. I'm left with a hundred thousand. And that's, that's actually been a huge shift in my thinking too. It's like when I first started investing, like I wanted to like buy what I thought had the most upside and I still do to a certain extent, but this whole year has taught me the value of earning income. So actually the last several months, like I've been buying bonds so I've, I've been buying bond ETFs. So again, this is not advice, but, um, you can buy bonds that, uh, like ETFs that have a lot of like corporate bond exposure and they will pay you every month, like 40 cents for every share you own. And so I realized like, man, I could use this as like an income vehicle down the road. Like I can just start building my position now, put more and more and more money into it. And then, let's say 10, 15 years down the road, like 
what if that earns me an extra like 500 bucks a month? Like that's a car payment. I don't have to worry about anymore, you know? And that's, that's what my whole focus has been like the past, like three or four months is just hell bent on trying to like build up like new revenue streams for me. I think to also get there, like an important footnote is escape velocity, right? Like that was something I didn't, clearly understand um in the beginning when like you hear investing and you're barely making ends meet like if you get to the end of the month and you have a hundred bucks 200 bucks in the bank account it's fucking demotivating to save it's like i'd rather fucking go blow that so that money is like better spent on skills on personal growth on anything to get you to an opportunity that gets you to escape velocity where like you have a couple thousand left over at the end of the month where you can put that in account and feel good about it. Like not worry. Cause once you get the worry off your back, like you can leave the house with the lights on and, and not be thinking about shit like that. Mm-hmm. That does a lot for mental wel- welfare. And then you can consider investing and stuff like that. Yeah. Like <clears throat> I definitely noticed a huge shift in my just overall stress level and level of happiness. Like, building up my investments and building up my saving account. Like, yeah, that's step one, but I learned this from you building up my cash. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got my savings. I got my investments and I, I got all that stuff, but now I'm just building up my cash because while, I mean, I had savings, I had investments, that was all great, but still paycheck to paycheck. I was still coming down to like a hundred, two dollars in my account. And it's still like, you know, I, I didn't have to worry about money anymore, but it's like, man, like I need to, I need to build a better cushion in my checking account. You know, I need, I just need to have more cash on hand at all times. Like I, and once I focused on building up my cash and just having a much bigger cushion of just pure cash, like that unlocked like a whole nother level of like stress or reduced anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's one of those things and it, it doesn't matter like where you start in life. Like that's the other thing I'm seeing at 30 versus 20, like at 20, your, your milestones shift when you get older. And at 20, I was like, I have to be here by a certain place. And now I'm at 30. It's like, things are speeding up and slowing down at the same time. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, life's coming to me faster, but I also can like slow down and, and realize like, what's the fucking point? Like I'm not, what am I in such a hurry to die for? You know? That's a good point. And like you said, too, certain things are speeding up and certain things are slowing down as you get older, too. I feel like a lot of people have that issue of figuring out what is speeding up and how to deal with that and what is slowing down, right? I feel like a lot of people have a hard time of navigating those waters. And you have, like, a few years to navigate that before you kind of fall back behind. But... I mean, like you said, though, there's never, like, a bad time to figure it out and do it. You can be 40, 50 years old, start saving now, right? So you can, once you get older, you can not have to work and you can pay for your retirement. But, yeah, I always feel like people have a little bit of a hard time of navigating when those transitions in life happen. And it's hard to find the mentors to help them out to get through it. Mm-hmm. Or just being okay with, like, where you're at. You know, it's like there's a cost for everything and... <clears throat> I think a lot of times we borrow from our future and we don't realize it, mm-hmm. you know? So like if we, if you're really enjoying the president and you're not delaying gratification, like that's okay. 
like soak it up. You know, like if you get to 60 and you had a fucking beautiful ride, that's awesome. But you might look around and see everyone that had to take Valium to go to sleep because the work it was stressing them out so much. You know, they went through three divorces trying to look for the perfect person and, you know, comparison game. And I, that's the eternal dilemma I, I work with all the time is like, should I do this fun thing this weekend or should I work this weekend? Like, am I not delaying enough? And, you know, so there's just that balance, right? But um, it, there is a certain part of me that has to be keenly aware of like, okay, am I mortgaging my future right now for a payoff that might not be worth it in the moment? I'm not, not trying to hit you guys with too much here. You know, these are just, well, no, that, that actually speaks <laughs> exactly to what I was saying before about, you know, the second and third order effects. It's like, you know, do the thing now that is uncomfortable so that you can be comfortable later. You know, mm-hmm. that's, what's going to provide the most growth. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like that's good. Like you want to do what's uncomfortable and delay your gratification, but you do need to live too. Like you do need to enjoy it and have fun. You know, you can't always be super disciplined and always, you know, doing the productive thing. Like sometimes it's fun to just totally blow off and have like a crazy wild day, you know, like that's, that's good for your soul. And you just can't, you can't do those times though, unless you don't do the uncomfortable work prior. But then there's also, we've seen you and I have definitely seen it out here in St. Pete the opposite where they're like every day blowing off, you know, every day going hard, certain like they, people, certain people make yeah. their money and it's gone, you know, from Amazing. just, they're living it up now. And they've, they've, I've talked with them about it before and they're just like, I'd rather do it now. Yeah. I'll deal with that problem when it comes on road. And that's just their life choice. That's just what they want. They recognize, hopefully they think back on that, you know, 50, 60 when that comes around, but you know, you see, we've seen the complete opposite swing of that. And they're having a blast, you know? Yeah, there was a conversation I had with a woman um, that, like, shook me for a lot of years when I was selling Cutco. And I was, I was sitting in her home, and she wanted no business with buying my knives, but she ended up buying. And it was because we made a, a personal connection around my goals. I used to have this sheet in my book that had all my goals listed out and how I wanted to travel. And, and it, like, really emotionally moved her because she was a um, a partner at, like, a a firm, a law firm. And I had my backpacking goal before I went backpacking through Europe and Asia. And she was like, tell me about this. So I explained, you know, why I was interested in doing that. She almost dude, like, it was like this super emotional moment. She almost like, it got really tense. Cause she was like for 40 years in my adult life, I worked my ass off. And the only two places I really went were Breckenridge in Mexico. I don't remember where, like Puerto Vallarta or something, Costa Rica, whatever. Mm-hmm. She said, I'd go up there, go skiing, and I would go down there, go to the beach, get drunk. And she said, those were her two trips, like every year. Whoa. And it was just like wash, rinse, repeat. And she said, a couple of years ago, I kind of woke up, way of retirement, and realized, like, what have I done with my life? And just freaked me right the fuck out. I'm like, holy shit, you can just do that. You can just put your head down and just wake up one day and look around and wonder like, was it worth it? And that's why, ma'am, you should buy the whole catalog <laughs> so I can get 
to Thailand. What you want? What you want right here? You want them silver ones, baby? The silver big ones. <laughs> silver. ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're doing it right, though, boys. I think you know it's, uh, awareness is half the battle, right? It, I think if we're going through this life eyes wide open, that uh, that that's the most you can ask for yourself. Balance. Finding the balance, yeah, because I feel like, you know, a lot of people think of addiction as just in drugs, right? And they think that can ruin things. Well, I think, like her, she just got addicted to work, getting in this cycle of the comfortableness. And I, I think people forget that addiction can ruin, you know, it could be going off and, and going to Vegas too many times. It could be working too hard. It could be spending too much time with one person and not being able to take care of yourself more, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that people need to understand and the realization of things, right. Things not clicking soon enough. And sometimes that's what the self-help books do in, in those organizations, right. Where you, where you spend a thousand dollars to go and someone talks to you and sometimes those click to be able to tell them that, but I feel like just people need to go on more walks. Go on a few more walks around your neighborhood. Go on a few more walks. Get a few more cats. Paint a few more paintings. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm about to have to land the plane. You guys can keep the plane going. No, nah, it's all right. I know. Joey, I think you said you had to have it probably head out around this time anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll land probably, the plane. Uh, good place to end. Stick a bookmark in it and we can hit it again. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, everyone, share with your friends. Share with those you love, share with those you hate. We don't care. Just get it out there for us. Like the episode. Follow it. We're the professional hippies. Thank you, Joey, for coming on again. Of course. Always enjoy hanging out with you. And looking forward to the, Thank you, guys. Looking forward to the next episode. Peace, guys. Bye, guys.